0: THE TABBY TERROR by P.G. Woodhouse This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hattie Lennox THE TABBY TERROR by P.G. Woodhouse The struggle between Praetor's Cat and Praetor's Cat's conscience was short, and ended in the hollowest of victories for the former. The conscience really had no sort of chance from the beginning. It was weak by nature and flabby from long want of exercise, while the cat was in excellent training, and was, moreover, backed up by a strong temptation. It pocketed the stakes, which consisted of most of the contents of a tin of sardines. When Smith came in after football and found the remains, he was surprised, and even pained. When Montgomery entered soon afterwards, he questioned him on the subject. I say, have you been having a sort of preliminary canter with the banquet? No, said Montgomery. Why? Somebody has, said Smith, exhibiting the empty tin. Doesn't seem to have had such a bad appetite, either. This reminds me of the story of the great bear, the medium bear, and the little ditto, observed Montgomery, who was active in an analogy. You may remember that when the great bear found his porridge tampered with, he, at this point, shawyer entered. He had been bidden to the feast and was feeling ready for it. "'Hello, tea-ready?' he asked. Smith displayed the sardine tin in much the same manner as the conjurer shows a pack of cards when he entreats you to choose one and remember the number. "'You haven't finished already? Surely. Why, it's only just five. "'We haven't even begun,' said Smith. "'That's just the difficulty. The question is, who has been on the raid in here?' "'No human being has done this horrid thing,' said Montgomery. He always liked to introduce a Holmes-Watsonian touch into the conversation. In the first place, the door was locked, wasn't it, Smith? By Jove, so it was. Then how on earth? Through the window, of course. The cat, equally, of course. I should like a private word with that cat. I suppose it must have been. Of course it was. Apart from the merely circumstantial evidence, which is strong enough to hang it off its own bat, we have absolute proof of the guilt. Just cast your eye over that butter. You follow me, Watson?" The butter was submitted to inspection. In the very center of it there was a footprint. I traced his little footprints in the butter, said Montgomery. Now, is that the mark of a human foot? The jury brought in an unanimous verdict of guilty against the missing animal, and over a sorrowful cup of tea, eked out with bread and jam, butter appeared to be unpopular, discussed the matter in all its bearings. The cat had not been an inmate of Prater's house for a very long time, and up till now what depredation it committed had been confined to the official larder, Now, however, it had evidently got its hand in, and was about to commence operations upon a more extensive scale. The tabby terror had begun. The general opinion was that something would have to be done about it. No one seemed to know exactly what to do. Montgomery spoke darkly of bricks, bits of string and horse pawns. Smith rolled the word rat poison luxuriously round his tongue. Shawyer, who was something of an expert on the range, babbled of air guns. At tea on the following evening, the first really serious engagement of the campaign took place. The cat strolled into the tea room in a patronizing way, characteristic of its kind, but was heavily shelled with lump sugar and beat a rapid retreat. That was the signal for the outbreak of serious hostilities. From that moment, its paw was against every man, and the tale of the things it stole is too terrible to relate in detail. It scored all along the line, like death in the poem, It knocked at the doors of the highest and the lowest alike. Or rather, it did not exactly knock. It came in without knocking. The palace of the prefect and the hovel of the fags suffered equally. Trentum, the head of the house, lost sausages to an incredible amount one evening, and the next day Ripton of the lower third was robbed of his one ewe lamb in the shape of half a tin of anchovy paste. Panic reigned. It was after this matter of the sausages that a luminous idea occurred to Trentum, He had been laid up with a slight football accident, and his family, reading between the lines of his written statement that he had gotten crocked at footer, nothing much, only rather a nuisance, might to him out of the house matches, and a notification of mortal injuries, and seemed to hear a death rattle through the words felt rather chippy yesterday, had come down en masse to investigate. En masse, that is to say, with the exception of his father, who said he was too busy, but felt sure it was nothing serious. Why, when I was a boy, my dear, I used to think nothing of an occasional tumble. There's nothing the matter with Dick. Why, etc., etc. Trentham's sister was his first visitor. I say, said he, when he had satisfied her on the subject of his health, would you like to do me a good turn? She intimated that she would be delighted and asked for details. By the beaks, cat, hissed Trentham in a hoarse whisper. Dick, it was your leg that you hurt, wasn't it? Not, not your head, she replied. I mean... No, I really mean it. Why can't you? It's a perfectly simple thing to do. But what is a beak, and why should I buy its cat? A beak's a master, surely you know that. You see, prater has got a cat lately, and the Beast strolls in and raids the studies. Got round over half a pound of prime sausages in here the other night, and he's always bagging things everywhere. You'd be doing everyone a kindness if you would take him on. He'll get lynched some day if you don't. Besides, you want a cat for your new house, surely? Keep down the mice and that sort of thing, you know? This animal's a demon for mice. This was a telling argument Trentham's sister had lately been married, and she certainly had had some idea of investing in a cat to adorn her home. As for beetles, continued the invalid, pushing home his advantage, they simply daren't come out of their lairs for fear of him. If he eats beetles, objected the sister, he can't have a very good coat. He doesn't eat them, just squashes them, you know, like a policeman. He's a decent enough beast as far as looks go. But if he steals things... No, don't you see? He only does that here, because the praetors don't interfere with him and don't let us do anything to him. He won't try that sort of thing with you. If he does, get somebody hit him over the head with a bootjack or something. He'll soon drop it then. You might as well, you know. The house will simply black your boots if you do. But would Mr. Praetor let me have the cat? Try him anyhow. Pitch it fairly warm, you know? Only cat you ever loved and that sort of thing. "'Very well. I'll try. "'Thanks, awfully. "'And I say, you might just look in here on your way out and report.'" Mrs. James Williamson, née, Miss Trentum, made her way dutifully to the Merivale's part of the house. Mrs. Prater had expressed a hope that she would have some tea before catching her train. With tea, it is usual to have milk, and with milk it is usual, if there is a cat in the house, to have feline society. Captain Kettle, which was the name thought suitable to this cat by his godfathers and godmothers, was on hand early. As he stood there pawing the mat impatiently and mewing in a minor key, Mrs. Williamson felt that here was the cat for her. He certainly was good to look upon. His black heart was hidden by a sleek coat of tabby fur, which rendered stroking a luxury. His scheming brain was out of sight in a shapely head. "'Oh, what a lovely cat,' said Mrs. Williamson. "'Yes, isn't he?' agreed Mrs. Prater. "'We are very proud of him.' "'Such a beautiful coat, and such a sweet purr.' "'He looks so intelligent. Has he any tricks?' "'Had he any tricks? Why, Mrs. Williamson, he could do anything except speak. "'Captain Kettle, you bad boy, come here and die for your country. Puss-puss.' "'Captain Kettle came at last reluctantly, died for his country in record time, "'and flashed back again to the saucer. He had an important appointment. "'Sorry to appear rude and all that sort of thing, don't you know, "'but he had to see a cat about a mouse.' "'Well,' said Trentham, when his sister looked in upon him an hour later, "'Oh, Dick, it's the nicest cat I ever saw. I shall never be happy if I don't get it.'" "'Have you bought it?' asked the practical Trentum. "'My dear Dick, I couldn't. We couldn't bargain about a cat during tea. Why, I never met Mrs. Prater before this afternoon.'" "'No, I suppose not,' admitted Trentum gloomily. "'Anyhow, look here. If anything turns up to make the beak want to get rid of it, I'll tell him you're dead nuts on it, see?' For a fortnight after this episode, matters went on as before. Mrs. Williamson departed, thinking regretfully of the cat she had left behind her. Captain Kettle died for his country with moderate regularity, and on one occasion, when he attempted to extract some milk from the very center of a fag's tea party, almost died for another reason. Then the end came suddenly. Trentham had been invited to supper one Sunday by Mr. Prater. When he arrived, it became apparent to him that the atmosphere was one of subdued gloom. At first he could not understand this, but soon the reason was made clear. Captain Kettle had, in the expressive language of a man on the street, been and gone and done it. He had been left alone that evening in the drawing-room, while the house was at church, and his eye, roaming restlessly about in search of evil to perform, had lighted upon a cage. In that cage was a special sort of canary, and its own line is accomplished an artiste as Captain Kettle himself." It sang with taste and feeling, and made itself generally agreeable in a number of little ways. But to Captain Kettle, it was merely a bird. One of the poets sings of an acquaintance of his, who was so constituted that a primrose by the river's brim, a simple primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. Just so with Captain Kettle. He was not the cat to make nice distinctions between birds. Like the cat in another poem, he only knew they made him light and salutary meals. So, with the exercise of considerable ingenuity, he extracted the canary from its cage and ate it. He was now in disgrace. "'We shall have to get rid of him,' said Mr. Prater. "'I'm afraid so,' said Mrs. Prater. "'If you weren't thinking of giving him to anyone in particular, sir,' said Trentham, "'my sister would be awfully glad to take him, I know. "'She was very keen on him when she came to see me.' "'That's excellent,' said Prater. "'I was afraid we should have to send him to a home somewhere.' "'I suppose we can't keep him after all?' suggested Mrs. Prater. Trentum waited in suspense. No, said Prater decidedly. I think not. So Captain Kettle went, and the house knew him no more, and the Tabby Terror was at an end. End of the Tabby Terror Recorded by Hattie Lennox